bag. Well, I, I walked in the other day, like it was like 10 at night, and you know how like they've been putting the hot dogs wrapped up already in foil yeah. with the pizza, and I walked in, I was like, they're out of hot dogs. And then I looked over and I was like, oh, the fucking roller girl's back. <laughs> if you had their um, sausage, their breakfast sausage is really good. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah, I I like going to the little kitchen area. They got some good stuff in there. That breakfast pizza. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not a big. uh, I know you don't like good food. We know, dude. He's from Louisiana. He can't taste it. He eats squirrel. No, he doesn't. There ain't nothing wrong with squirrel if it's cooked right. (laughs) Exactly. He he can't eat spicy food. There you go. You can't handle spicy food. You're from the south and you don't like spicy food. No, he doesn't. What are you talking about? You haven't had any of. You haven't had. Is that why you moved to Missouri? Did they kick you out of the south? Had to come be up here with you Yankees. Yeah. Yankees. Hey, man, we're a southern state. You didn't know that? Yeah, you, you keep saying that. Believe it if you want. I'm just saying. There's, yeah, and it's humid here, too. Okay. It is humid We don't here. have swamp gas coming up and choking us out all the time. Hey, man. Some, it's Jeez. the small pleasures in life. I can walk outside without getting bit by an alligator. So. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it just keeps you on your toes. That's all it is. I don't know why you guys are complaining. Louisiana sucks. It's, it's a nice place to visit. <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> the crawfish was good, though. Yeah. That was the only that's the highlight. Crawfish was awesome. All right, Who's so. vibrating? I don't know. Somebody is vibrating, though. Me. It must be you. Oh. Mm-hmm. Nope, not me. Okay. With that, welcome to the Washdown Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Green. With me, my co-host, Chris Nelson. Oh, hold on, Chris. We've practiced this. We don't say anything now, right? And that's James Moran, our producer. Would you like to introduce our guest? No? Do you want to talk? Okay. You sure? You're busy with a donut. Our guest today is... <laughs> Dana Johnson. Hi, guys. How are you? I like donuts. <laughs> She's a cop. <laughs> yeah. Mm. She is a 23-year veteran of law enforcement and brought us donuts. So <laughs> it's can, can she be the new host when we fire Jeremy? Is that, she Please, brings treats. Somebody take over for me. <laughs> she brings treats, man. I will bring you treats every time. Yeah. Jeremy just brings Compliance. criticism. You bring treats. <laughs> hey. Somebody's got to do it. We are a kinder, gentler police department. Kinder, gentler. We bring treats, so. They're delicious. (laughs) As evident by Chris and I, we are a kinder, gentler fire department. Yes, yes. I mean, I'm already a big teddy bear. I might as well look like one. Yeah, I was uh, listening to a a podcast. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast on the way over here that you guys should, both of you two should listen to and listen to, uh, it's, you know, cleared hot with Andy Stump and he goes on a little bit of a, a rant on his full auto Friday and it applies to you too. I'll let you look that up. And About how awesome we are. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> Dana, we're going to die within like three months of each other and I'm going to die happy. And he's going to be miserable because all he eats is kale and steamed hey, chicken health- breast. Oh, easy with the healthy. Yeah. I'm a healthy person, too. Yeah. 
I'm not the one who's I, modified every six months. But and oh, oh, that's because I work. When you actually do stuff, you get hurt. Not really? just stand there and be like, right from the bag. I don't know what to do. He got hurt getting out of the rig I did. to get gas. You know, it's funny that you mentioned work because fire department doesn't do that much work. <laughs> you sit back and you wait. We'll yeah. go ahead and do all the work for you yeah. and then let you come in. <laughs> <laughs> Got to wait on you guys to secure the scene. <laughs> and then they take four hours. That's why we take naps. Nah. Oh, uh, look, here's a showcasing. Let me just kick that on across the crime scene. <laughs> oh, look, another one. Let me just kick that one on across the crime scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, is this caution tape? Let's run the ambulance right on through it. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't need it. It's not for us. You can never find a cop when you need one, though. Hey, can we get someone to move the caution? Oh, they're all gone. Yeah. And as soon as you kick, as soon as you hear the ding, ding, ding of a shell casing, they're like, hey! Stop kicking shit! It's a crime scene, goddammit! All love. All love. All, all love. the time. I like, I like when, they, when they drive by and we're in the station, it's pouring down rain, or it's really cold outside. I got my cup of coffee. Yeah. I love Yeah, we're waving. And I'm in shorts. We're waving. Yeah. It's so we're hot waving. here. <laughs> Quite like, uh, uh. On Thanksgiving, you just like do your fire station feast pictures and make sure you tag all your cops as they're eating their like quick trip hot dogs in their cars. You know, actually, we've started, um, we've got a civilian who for the last I've been seeing those years, pictures. TJ Horton, she yeah. and her husband, um, they cooked both for Thanksgiving and for Christmas. The amount of money that she personally spends is upwards of $10,000 just to feed. She'll feed the entire police department, Jesus. police officers, so that they have a Thanksgiving meal. We've got an organization, too, called Taking It to the Streets. and they Yes, work on homeless they're fantastic. They, yeah, it's, they're, I'm not going to lie. It's some of the better steak I've had. Well, like, so they did a, um, during the Super Bowl parade last year, they were coming through and feeding us um, biscuits and gravy in the morning, and it was some of the better biscuits and gravy I've had. I wish they would have had something during the World Series parade because I worked it. And it was too starving. hot. It was, it it was, was too hot. We didn't even have water. Yeah. It was, well, it was neither did every drunk a person. Fire, out. A fire department that didn't have yeah. water? There, there was no fire what? trucks. This was all EMS. We're more of, a, yeah. we're more of an EMS agency <laughs> oh, now. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, but it was a first, you know, we had never done anything like that. Right. And, and it was even more than what we expected. We had, what, a million people? In that small area, and yeah, it was nobody cool. planned on that. No, and it was awesome. It, it was, was awesome. awesome. It was cool to see. I it was amazing, pictures, right? But it was, it was crazy. <laughs> it was I'd never an amazing thing like that. to be a part of. Oh, yeah. Both that and the Super Bowl parade it was just amazing. Suck it, other cities. <laughs> <laughs> so, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, is, and that I wasn't aware of is you were actually a CIT trainer. And I actually went through that. um, Wow. That was whenever I was, well, it's been like 12 years ago, 13 years ago. Yeah. Um, That was huge for our department. Yeah. It was huge. I did it four years ago. It was huge for us because I was one of the first ones for our department to go through it. Um, and it totally opened my eyes of dealing because, you know, I, and I was still new on the department. I think I had like maybe three years on. And so we run a lot of site calls and yeah. 
you know, whatever. And it's real easy if you don't understand what's going on with those people to do the wrong things. Very easy. And that really mm-hmm. kind of, mm-hmm. it changed the way that I approach those calls quite a bit. So if you could just kind of talk about that. And- so when I first came on, um, 98, it was still, we had to have three magic words. And I, I can't tell you the, the number of times that we would go on a call and you have these families that are just, they're beaten down. They, they need help. We can't help. I mean, that's literally our job is to help solve problems. Unless they said those three words that they were going to hurt themselves or kill somebody else, there's nothing we could do. And so a lot of times we left those calls knowing that we failed that family and that we would either be back for a homicide, we'd be back with fire for a dead body, or we would, um, we would see them the next week, right? So when CIT actually came in, I can tell you that just going through the class, like you said, it really opened up our eyes to, it taught us more about the diseases or the mental illnesses, a little bit more how to interact with individuals, what they're going through the medications, learning the medications, and how important taking that medication on time consistently is the key factor to it, and how to communicate with people, I think, was the, was the biggest part. I know after having that training class, I couldn't wait to go on a call, an EDP call is what we used to call it, emotionally disturbed parties, and I think that's what we still call them. Um, but being able to go in, hear a family just needing help they just need that support and being able to give them help communicate with the individual what's going on today tell me more about have you taken your medications have you eaten is that something you have to eat with when's the last time you talked to your caseworker that kind of thing so we left the home better than when we came in Um, and i think that really brought us and the mental health community closer so, yeah, it was huge for us. I've even noticed since CIT came to the city, too, even a bleed over into our, like, medical protocols, for example. Because, like you said, you're right. You had to get those three magic words, and now it, it's not something that's necessarily fun, but when you do have those EDP calls, it's it's not just are they going to kill themselves or kill others. It's, you know, can they understand the consequences of not seeking help can they ration ability to rationalize you know and that's what gives us a lot more leeway sometimes to force treatment but it's still necessary but it's just much more of a broader scope that we have to be able to tackle these things and it's yeah. it's amazing for us and even working with the officers on scene it's that what can you do what can we do what can we come together on how can we make this work it's just it's been phenomenal being able to break it's the simplest of ideas to train officers about the medical field in a way that doesn't put us in a li- liability situation because I'm not, we're, look, we're not trained to do a whole lot of medical stuff, and that's fine. That's not our job, right? Um, but give me the tools that I, and the knowledge so that I can connect with that individual and then help them. That's what we all want to do is solve a problem. Um, 
but having resources with Truman Medical, Western Missouri Mental Health, getting all of those people back together, um, the court systems, having everybody together on the same page, working together for one initiative was a huge help. So. Right. And it, I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand that, you know, just because you guys show up doesn't necessarily, you know, mean that you're wanting to arrest somebody or something like that. And like you said, getting everybody on the same page and understanding and being able to have those resources and knowing what to do and knowing how to interact with the, that person, it, that's part of the de-escalation, I Absolutely. would assume. You know. Absolutely. And like what Jeremy said too, it's you only have a limited number of tools and right. you want to problem solve. And sometimes it's, oh, well, we could take them to jail to stop this immediate issue, but that doesn't help. You know, that's not a long-term solution. Right. It's but not going to help the family because jail doesn't help them. And right now with the jail systems, there's no guarantee that they're going to stay in jail. Right. So depending on what's going on, depending on the day, the number of people in jail, now we're putting someone in handcuffs and confining them. That's not resolving it. We're making the problem worse, depending on the situation. Now, sometimes there is a time that that calls for it. I don't think anybody wants to walk into those situations and say, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm done with this. I don't want to mess with this anymore. I'm not going to try to help the family. You're just going to jail. That's not, no, going in and helping the family, finding those resources is what is going to help them in the long term. Right, so, yeah. and could prevent further things from happening right. to, to, from going down that road. So how widespread, like, I, I don't know how many guys on our fire department have had that training. I mean, Not very many. Yeah. Not very many at the, all. The only real CIT type training I got was in medic school. I mean, maybe. Yeah. And that was a blip. Yeah. So, I mean, it's. Maybe five or six out of 1,300. Yeah. Because there was three of us whenever I went through, and then you and maybe a couple others but so for you guys is that like a standard piece of training it is now, now. um our current chief made it initiative that every recruit it used to be that you had to sign up mm -hmm. when it first started in 2000 2001 2002 I can't, I can't remember when we started it um you had to apply to be a part of the the class because it was a week long mm -hmm. um, and you were out of service really for that entire week. So manpower was an issue. Yeah. Um, so it was an application process, but now it's every recruit gets it as part of their training before they come out into the field. And then um, pretty much every officer has had it. I would, I'm pretty sure. Plus we do annual training too, to kind of upgrade just keep that continuing education rolling on right. what's going on. It's always nice to see somebody who had the CIT badge on their, mm -hmm. on yeah. their shirt because you knew, okay, I got a little they bit of help pride. here. And I'm, it, it opens up your options too as if you're working as a medic of what you can do with this patient to help to give them the help they need. Right. So well, like you said, um, <clears throat> well, and that person takes pride in having that knowledge. Yeah. Because they wear it on their, on their shirt, Right there should be a pride with that, that you are going out of your way to do what you need to do. It's not just, I just need to get through this call to get to the next one because mm -hmm. we we're in that time now. We're, oh yeah, you guys are just as busy as we are. We're horribly busy. Call to call to call. Short on manpower, we're mm -hmm. short on money. 
um, calls are coming out. And as much as you want to help people, you know that the next call, the shooting, there's somebody else is needing as much help. But mm -hmm. we have to just slow down and just do what we need to do for this individual at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, resources are finite. And they're getting you know, there. And it's the, it's the same for us as you know, it's not uncommon for us to go on a call and not make it back to the station for several hours because right. we're just going from call to call to call to call. And a lot of it is, I mean, you want to be blatantly honest. Some of it's just abuse of the 911 system. I have Agreed. toe pain at two o'clock in the morning. Okay. That's you don't call 911 for toe pain at two o'clock in the morning, but people do. So, and we have to go whenever they call, what, we got to go. I don't know what the solution to that is. I know that, um, it's like, we're not teaching people how to solve their own problems, right? Oh, you so, mean personal accountability. Well, I, there, I think there's <laughs> no, a difference I, I know, between personal I, I accountability and teaching people like children. Okay. Mm -hmm. So hard lesson to learn. My son has a f iPhone. Um, he went for a run. Good job going for a run. We like physical fitness. Um, he is 16, so the feet are a challenge. They're new, apparently. Um, <laughs> tripped and fell. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine now being <laughs> the mom that I am. You laughed. I'm an asshole. <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> What'd you learn? <laughs> did anybody see you? And what was your response after? Like, did you full on elbows and buttholes? Or was it more of like a tip and skin? And he's like, no, I've got scratches on my back. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> but you can laugh because he's still standing in front of you. Well, no, it, you know, well, yeah. Hurt, hurt. I mean, well, if he's hurt, he's not going to tell his mom. I mean, at 16. Not, not unless it's bad. Right. No. Anyways, he. <laughs> somehow in the fall because running with our phone in our hand is apparently how we run like <laughs> right shoved somehow the jack the earphone right it just destroyed the phone he's like i need a new phone <laughs> me too how about that yeah, yeah. <laughs> well um i don't have the money so what are you gonna do you need to fix your, what's the steps that you can take without having to go get a new phone? What are your options? Well, you can take it up, you break it, you fix it. Pay to have it done. Sorry, you now have adult money. You get to pay for that. Mm -hmm. Enabling this generation to make decisions and struggle just a little bit so they can solve their own problems helps them practice that in life, I think. Um, there, now, the, the other side of that is we do have a large population where some of these kids can't afford to have those options. They're just so far down on their luck. So with that, I mean, as they grow up into adults, they're calling 911 because they have no other, they, they know 911 will always answer. So that's how they fix their problems. It's somebody else will tell me how to fix my problem because I'm physically unable to do it myself. Or I can't, I'm too far into that crisis moment where I can't think of what my options are. You know, and we, you're 100% right. We see that too. I hate getting called out for the toe pain at two in the morning, but sometimes that, you know, I'm like, why do you want to go to the hospital at two in the morning? 
sometimes half the time they don't. They're just like, hey, help me solve this. What yeah. can I do? It's 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 almost like an information line. Right. It's, right. it's I don't know what else to do. I, I don't know what my other options are. You know, like a lot of <clears throat> first-time homeowners don't know how to shut the water off in their house. So, yeah, I mean, th- does that a, kind of a call annoy me? Yeah, I get annoyed. I mean, I'm human. So take that. So kind of do your bitching on the way. Be professional when you get out. Be respectful. And be like, all right. This is how you do this. Right. Show them how to do it. Show them, okay. This is your water. Where's your water shut up? I don't know. Okay. It's probably in the basement or, you know, most houses Where? are. Yeah. Right. So let's go down there and look. Okay. There it is. This is how you do it. And then I make them do it. Yeah. Like it's your water. You, You're there more <laughs> as a support function, yeah. which is, you know, I, I think if, that's what a lot of people yeah. just need. They just need someone to show them. If my dad hadn't taught me when I was a kid, I wouldn't know. A lot of things that I, and that now that, you know, more I think about it over, the years <clears throat> more uh not everybody has that person to teach them right you know and i take it for granted i, I definitely do i know i do that I, some of the stuff i know and some of the stuff i don't know but well there's there's you gotta learn how to figure it out on your own too that's rachel and i have had conversations about this about knowledge gap what's common sense for you and something that's just common that you wouldn't even think about for somebody else They've never encountered that situation or never had to think about that problem or mm-hmm. whatever. And it, like I said, it's a knowledge gap of, what am I trying to say? It's across the whole spectrum. It is. So, not, not everybody knows what everybody else knows. Yeah. I remember coaching wrestling in college, you know, showing new moves. And they're like, how do you do it? I'm like, I don't know. You just do it. Like, you just just do, why, why is this hard for you? Just do it. Yeah. Do you have any siblings that held you down? I mean, it's survival of the fittest. I mean, but, but I had two brothers. It was. I was the oldest. Yeah, I was the oldest. So, you know, teaching my son how to play baseball when he was younger was a struggle for me. To to take what I knew and what I learned, and to teach it to him, I struggled with it. Because you, you know, have to break it down. Yeah, and I'm like, I just just do this. Always kind of did it. Yeah. yeah, you know, dead through the ball, and I caught it. I'm gonna get hit in the face. Well, the, you you now know to. not to do that. Yeah, right. Yeah, I hit him in the face a few times. <laughs> not intentionally. I'm like, I catch the ball, man. You may not want to say that in front of. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll roll the dice. <laughs> I'll uh, statue limitations and all, right? I'll go ahead and call the hotline yeah, for yeah, you real quick. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. 19. He's almost 19 now. He's good. Uh, Damn, I'm curious. Um, and I, I know Jeremy probably didn't get it when he went through. I, it got touched on, and that was about it. But with the involvement of CIT, um, kind of diving back into that, what have you seen with new training coming out um, with, like, mental health crises or, like, we're seeing more and more domestic incidents between same-sex couples or couples that identify of, you know, different genders, different sexual orientations? What have you seen with the involvement of that um, in dealing with those um, crises and mental health in those individuals? Um, so I'll say I don't touch too much on training. Um, my specialty now is more writing the policies for the department. Or um, even the involvement of the policies. Right. Too. So. That's a tough one. It is tough. Um, there are agencies out there that are very progressive, right? Then you have others um, so like your East and your West coast is very progressive with their agencies because it's, um, it's very prominent. 
I can tell you from writing policies, when I wrote the FMLA policy, I had it for five and a half years in revision. It was right before, um, well, it was when the federal government opened to where you could take, a, take more time for the military, right? So it used to, you'd only have like 12 weeks if you were pregnant or whatever. Then they opened it up for the military aspect of things. So the nuances to the federal law changed. At the time, I was fighting the department that a man and a female who um, had a child, whether it was in common or whatever, okay, could equally take 12 weeks. If you were together on the department and had a, or had a child in common, at the time, you had, depending on who you were, you had to either share your time, or if they liked you, you could each have 12 weeks. So I was fighting that part of it. In fighting that, I pushed for the domestic partnership, that if we have couples that are together of same sex or are not technically married, they're man and woman, and they're living together and they have a child in common, they equally deserve that 12 weeks of time off when the child is born. What that did for the department is set them up for success with domestic partnership that was then later allowed by law, same-sex marriages and things like that. So we were ahead of the, the, the gain on that. The laws still are kind of behind the times when it comes to domestic abuse and violence, but the tactics are no different. It's the same questions. Um, I think we have a younger generation of cops coming in that are very open to it. Um, it's no big deal uh, whether you're married and same sex or transgender or whatever that is. It's about solving the problem. How can we best solve this problem and look at, is there abuse or violence, and how can I get you the resources you need? Not so much whether it's same sex, man, woman, transgender, not transgender. It's still the same problem. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I think the training is always going to continue to shift. It's the mindset of the people and how they apply that training that I think is going to change without really forcing it. So what it sounds like is you don't look at the people involved as a gender. It's just, you know, you can plug, put your plug letters in if you want, like in math. Right. You have an X and a Y, and that's it. Or a C and D. I don't, I don't care what letters you You can have two Ys. It doesn't really yeah. matter. I mean, it's, the letter's not the important part. It's the, how do, you, how do you get to the answer? Yes. You know, so that everybody benefits from it. Show it's, your work. Show your work. Don't yeah. skip your steps. <laughs> Don't skip your steps. Don't skip your steps. Um, we do have a, um, she's retiring, but we have an LGBTQ coordinator on the department. Um, fantastic human being. She um, unfortunately is retiring. It's her time to leave. So I see that we have a huge gap in how we handle things, um, but I think Agencies across the nation are going to start, it's not just how we interact with citizens, but how we interact in our department, though, too, because what's happening in the community is happening in our own department. Um, uniform 
personal appearance. Okay, not that big of a deal, but if a woman can wear her hair to the collar, why can't a guy? Right? Because that's the standard. That's why. <laughs> right. High and tight, man. I mean, <laughs> Got to be high and tight across the board. It looks I more professional they, is what the answer is. It looks more professional. Does it? To who? You know, who's, right. I, I think back when those policies were first written. It's a touchy, written, touchy yes. subject. Oh, it's, it's yeah. Facial it's, hair on the fire department. That's the other touchy subject. So it's, we have our own problems with, you know, the grooming policy and uniform policy and all of that stuff. So. I like having a beard. That's fine. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, but, but but it causes when it gets too long, it causes a problem with the face piece sealing. Because once your hair gets too long, you can't get that seal mm. to where you go into a fire like that. You're you're in trouble. I'll be honest. So that's why we have that grooming policy. True. And the downside to that is to what length, right? Yeah. Like this, this would still seal. I, I can go longer than this and steal. It's subjective. Yeah. In my position, the chances of me throwing on a mask, very, very rare. Yeah. So why can't I grow a beard? Can you grow a beard? <laughs> <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for shaving before you came in here. Just right in that door. <laughs> you opened it. I just asked a question. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, because right now we talk about um, the, ga- the gas mask for us. Mm-hmm. It's an issue. We're messing with the beards as well. Mustaches, beards. So you want to have a beard. And your mask, they're negative seal, right? You have to create that seal on those gas masks? What? <laughs> you go like this. Yeah, you breathe in. That's, yeah. that, that's yeah. negative pressure. Yeah. So you create the seal. Like yeah. we're ours, we have air forced through it. So it's right. positive pressure, and that creates the seal. So you have more leeway when it comes to your facial hair. You don't have to be as, as short with it. So for us, if you sense? have a beard, that's fine. Yeah. You have to have a medical waiver to have a beard. Huh. And if you have to throw on your gas mask, you have to shave it. So you have to go in and dry shave real quick. Dry shave shaving sucks, by the way. Well, yeah. so, I mean. It doesn't seem very tactical. It's not. <laughs> which is why it's, I mean, depending on the person, it, we fight it. Mm-hmm. Right? So either make it, you either do or you don't. We saw a lot of that with the situations that happened last summer when we were wearing them quite a bit. So, yeah, yeah so that's definitely a tough, fine line, a very tough line to. Well, with. I mean, but it applies. Well, but I mean, unisex. And it, I think the military is starting, you know, they set the trend. Yeah. In reality, it's the solution is really very simple shave. That's the policy be clean shaven. And then you have no problems. When you're writing your policies, though, I mean, it's one of those things I, c- I can understand why. Or how could I be sued over this later? How right. could the department be sued over this later? So we have to allow for medical ADA. It's, it's difficult. It is difficult. And how can you say it's okay for women to wear... You keep coming back to the hair thing. Well, no, no. Let's explore. Let's go. Let's let's take a walk. Um, This is going to be good. I'm just trying to make her mad because I think she kicked my ass. (laughs) I would enjoy it. It's been a minute. (laughs) I'm not touching this one. 
go upstairs and get my ass kicked by my wife, too. <laughs> Take two beatings a day. Um, if our policy says women can wear conservative makeup and nail polish and hairstyles, why can't men in uniform wear nail polish, makeup? And what? So I I, I totally understand. What <laughs> it you're makes saying. us yeah. all really uncomfortable. Yeah, because it does. It's, it's like, a hard That's not how this has ever been. It's, it's a very and... old school career. I mean, it's you're talking decades of centuries. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Masculine. I mean, I mean it's oh, raw. Men don't wear <laughs> makeup <laughs> or nail polish. Well, Alice Cooper did. I mean, depends on the man, yeah, and you're I okay mean, with it. I don't know. I, yeah, it, like you said, that's a tough one. I mean, I think it comes back to the professional thing, and yeah, but what's you know, professional to you is not professional to me. It's very subjective. It, Just like the tattoo policy. Yeah. yeah. So but, as long as it's not offensive. And here, you know, it's one of those yeah. things like, hey, I'm here to help. Why can't I wear makeup? You know, like. I'm here. I'm here to do the job same as you. Why can't I wear my makeup? The, the argument we've had: pants and shorts, yeah, or t-shirts and collar, collar shirts. I'm not a collar shirt guy. I don't like wearing collars. Aren't you wearing a collar now? It's a sweatshirt. It's different. Doesn't count. It's not a sweatshirt. Hey, are you a detective? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like a windbreaker sweatshirt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just let him let him wind I'm, himself I'm talk, up. I'm talking like polos, you know, oh. that kind of stuff. Which I just I don't like them. I wear them when yeah. I have to. But why do I have to wear one in the middle of the night? Why not? Who it's cares? not like you're doing anything. It's professional. I mean, you're either playing video <laughs> games or napping or cooking. That's it. That's what you do. Hey, it's not our fault you didn't get into the fire academy, yeah. okay? Take the uh, test. You could have passed. Mm, he passed. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> I honestly never wanted to be on the fire department. Sounds like yeah, you not all of us are perfect. Mm-hmm. What, all right. what made you want to be a police officer? <laughs> honestly? Yeah. Do the masculine voice again. <laughs> <laughs> I was told I'd never make it. So I was like, screw you. I'm going to do it. And then I got into it. I never thought. God, I literally never thought the process out. Like of being a cop. Never. Like working nights and being mm-hmm. in the snow in the middle of the night. Didn't even dawn on me <laughs> at all. <laughs> and then it was like, uh, you mean. You mean I don't just get to ride around in the car? I had no clue what I was getting into. I literally had no clue what I was getting into. Not a clue. And then it was like, okay, this is cool. I like this. Except for, you know, having to hold to go to the bathroom for eight and a half hours. Yeah. I mean, if you didn't make fun of firemen, you probably come to the fire station. Uh, we're not going to the fire station. There's no way. Why a not? female officer is never going to go to the fire station. Can I use your bathroom? Like, oh my God. Can <laughs> <laughs> I use the bathroom? <laughs> no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So, not only would I not hear the end of it women. from the fire department, I would never hear the end of it from my own guys. There's no way. When I, when I was nope, the old I'll station the I was at, Cops get by all the time. Seriously, we had coffee. Now, 
now. Yeah, I mean, but this that's was changed. A, yeah, it's changed. I, I get that. I'm, I mean, I'm talking about like our doors are always open for everybody. There's plenty of extra food because we're cooking all the time. Well, that's it. <laughs> it's good food as long as I don't cook. <laughs> Unless you like mac and cheese and hot dogs. Mac and cheese with tuna in it. It's delicious. I mean, depending on where you were assigned, there were some station houses you just didn't go to as a female officer because it had a, a stigma at- attached to it. So you had to be really careful. Yeah. So <laughs> You're speaking, laughing, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> speaking of... First I ever heard of it. <laughs> speaking of stigmas, let's... Uh, kind of go back to the CIT mental health thing. What's the stigma on the department (laughs) about mental health? How's that kind of looked at? Because I'm always curious, you know, you've met Bart, right? Who? Bart. uh, Hal. Uh, Maybe not. Well, yeah, he, I think he came out to Andy's one time. Anyway, um, his former SF guy, we did a podcast with him and he was talking about, you know, the stigma of mental health and the teams and the special forces groups and stuff and how it was just like a no, no, you know, you don't even <laughs> talk about it. And I'm just curious about the police department. Cause I've heard things, but I haven't actually talked to an officer about it. So um, so I will say that, um, times are changing, right? Um, with the social environment changing as quickly as it's changing, so too are the ideas inside the organization, whether one's a catalyst or not. Um, when I first came on, <laughs> we weren't fighting mental health. Um, it was fighting to be accepted. So with that fight of acceptance, and we've talked about this before, um, and I don't mean, I'm not trying to f- fly the feminist flag, um, but because I do think that everybody wants to be accepted as when they first become a police officer. Um, you want to be a part of the boys, right? The family, um, I want to be trusted to have your back in the middle of the night and for you to know that I can do my job and when I need you, you will have, you can do your job. So fighting to become part of that inclusion is the first step. And then there's a culture that goes along with that. As mental health has become more prevalent, we're starting to see how it's really affecting the officers and how the officers are affecting the community, right? So the short of the long on that is it is still a taboo thing to talk about. We don't talk about it. And I think that needs to change. I think it's start, conversations are being had. And I think depending on the person, and how much, um, how progressive they are, depends on how it's accepted. When I talk to people about mental health in my own department, I first start with, it should be no different than you going to the dentist. It's not a big deal. It's literally not that big of a deal. 
Um, the problem with that is there's a lot right now socially against officers. So the thought process of you not being able to handle, handle your own mental issues, how can you not handle this? I'm doing just fine. I, I've had worse calls than you've had, and I'm doing just fine. But you're having a problem? That makes no sense. The other part of it is, personally, how can I have problems? I, I solve the problems. If I had a problem, I would solve it. I don't need somebody else to solve my own problem. Um, we're starting to see a change in that. But I think for officers, they're, they won't go to their own department unless it's the last resort. It's the 911 call for numerous reasons. Court cases. There's court cases against officers who are doing the right thing. Um, and that's a touchy subject, too. The last thing an officer needs is for their mental health help to come up in court to question whether or not they were in their right mind to do what they did. So do you take that chance and say, I need help? Is there a guarantee that's not going to come back to bite me or my partner or the family? I mean, criminal and now civil. So it's difficult. Yeah. And I, I don't know. For me personally, and I've heard that before, but for me personally, dealing, you know, with what I dealt with and everything, I mean, not a cop, just a fireman, um, the cost of not getting the help far outweighed the cost of if I would have spoken up sooner. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, who knows? I would say that of anyone, cops are the best at masking. I can, when I go to work, I am not. You're isolated more than we are. Like, we, we go to work and yeah. we're around six to 12 guys all day, every day. It depends, right? So. The person I am when I'm at work is not the same person I am when I'm off work. I'm not that you, you learn survival tactics to build that wall and to be a certain person that can be high functioning, that can be high energy, that can go from a dead baby call one minute and dying literally internally to okay, now I have to switch gears and go to a traffic accident and try to figure out how to, how to fix this problem for this, this group. Or, or even in your situation, switch gears and go home and be a mom. Oh, it's, it, that has been the hardest part for me. And I learned very early, very, very early, um, to be a completely different person. I don't talk about my kids at work. Um, when I'm in uniform, I'm not a mom. Unless I need to use that to connect with someone, if that makes sense, right? So kind of like a, a shapeshifter of sorts. Um, as soon as I get off of work, I'm no longer a cop. 
when I'm at home, I'm at home. That's, that's it. But I worked nights, so <laughs> I can remember driving to work, and my daughter was at the door bawling. Please don't go to work. Please don't go to work. I want you home. Everybody else's mommy's at home. And you're like, <laughs> She played that everybody else's mommy's calling. You know, I'm not a good mom because I'm working and I'm chasing after people and I'm jumping fences and I'm taking risks. That other, that I'm the mom. I'm the mom. I'm the mom. Moms have to be a certain way. June Cleaver, I cook, I clean. I make sure that the kids are happy. Um, I can sew, I can be crafty, I can be all these things. I can go to PTA meetings and connect with other moms that are not like me, but I carry a gun and I can kung fu kick the shit out of somebody and that's kind of fun <laughs> and cool, but you know. I'm that's sorry about all the jokes I made earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing paperwork. I'm telling you now, I'm not doing paperwork. I can, I can stop recording real quick. If you just tell me. No, what. you might want to continue because people might pay for that. Sweet. You know what? I'm in. Remember how we were talking about TikTok earlier? Yeah. Yeah. I think I that's the video. Right I love TikTok. I'm going to get kicked in the face. So <laughs> mentally, it was hard for me. That car ride was my transition where I just had to put who I was as a mom here and be a cop and only a cop at work. I, be one of the guys. Be the go-getter that I'm going to sniff out as much drugs and arrest and put people in prison and, you know, go into creepy basements or under the porch because somehow I always ended up being the person to go under a porch. <laughs> I don't know why. I hate bugs. Um, really hate cockroaches. Really hate cockroaches. Um, but mm -hmm. then transition <laughs> yeah. right back to being mom and wife and PTA and all these things that, you know, the, the daughter and hearing my parents say, if you could just be a little more girly, what does that look like today? Um, so I think everybody has to figure out their way of being existing that is healthy for them. And I think that's where the mental health issues start to come in. If they're not handling things in a healthy manner or having those outlets, you know, working out or connecting with people outside of work, that's truly saved me is just, I mean, it was fun and great for the first two years, hanging out with cops, drinking. Um, my life changed when I became a mom. It was no longer just about me. It was about my family. And I think that was a huge shift for me early on. Something else I wanted, when we were talking about the gas mass earlier, you referenced what happened last summer. Um, for us, it's in the fire department. It's kind of easy. Everybody loves firefighters. Everybody wants to be a Everybody firefighter. Firefighters. You know, like why? Yes, we see the same stuff, and for a lot of us, are, are we see the bad stuff? It's kind of easy because the public is so happy when we show up, and they love us, and they bake us cookies, and yada 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 yada. Right. It's not the same for you. Um, you know, whether we like to or not, we really self-identify with our careers. We're proud of it. You know, Absolutely. that's that's who we are as people. Um. Our careers are loved by people. Yours, honestly, are not right now. What has it been like for you or 
the officers you work around, just that mental health toll that it's taken where, you know, it's, they don't feel safe in their own homes, in the community. They're hated at work. The work goes underappreciated. You're understaffed. You're underfunded already. Just so much is compiling on it. When you, you know, it's easy to say, I mean, now we're seeing even the older people are like, they're retired early. They're just, they're getting out. It's not good. What is, you know, even those that don't like to talk about mental health, they're leaving because of it. They don't want it. What's, what's going on? Explain that culture to us right now. So I'm excited to see, um, when I was in DC in January, I was able to connect with four young tenured female officers. So there's, there's a gap of probably 18 years of service between myself and these young women. And we had these same conversations. We've gone from the pendulum of we were, oh, cops were cops. I mean, it, it was a cool thing. Yeah, bad TV, boys, yeah, bad boys. <laughs> I mean, everybody loved bad boys. Uh, Martin Lawrence was great. To just that sucker punch of... And it was slow, but it was fast, right? So all of a sudden, people hated us. People have hated us for a long time. We didn't see in the sheer numbers that we have recently, and I think that was a shock to the system to a lot of people who came onto the job, idolized. I mean, I can't tell you how many people we get that want to be a police officer because of all the things they've seen on in the movies. The movie industry has done us more harm than good. I would say we don't hold our guns up next to our face. And I guarantee you're not going to see a female cop run in high heels. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> it's dangerous. And it's really not pretty. But so with that then came for the first time ever not feeling safe in my own home was completely unacceptable. My home is my sanctuary, and, and I know a lot of cops felt that way. When we come in within those four walls, I can just be. I can exist. It's my, my walls are secure. Um, it's unbreachable of all the horrible things that, that life has to offer. It's not the nightmares for me. I know that isn't the same for others. But to receive death threats, that they're going to come burn my house, me, Dana, bring it. I would love for you to come into my door. Go ahead and try. But I have two children I have to protect. I have a mom, a father, a father. I have brothers. I have nieces and nephews. I have to protect. I, they're going to be harmed because of my profession choice. And I'm a good cop. I, I'm a good cop. I want to help people. I'm here because I have a passion for people. Not many people would agree with what happened um, last summer. So I think having that, I think last year when I met you guys um, at Challenge U, when I got in that ring and was told to take my armor off, I, and first of all, I don't cry at work and I think you learn not to cry because it shows weakness. If I allow weakness in, I could make a mistake, right? So that's part of the inclusion. You don't cry around the guys. And that's not just a, that's not just a 
some, I mean, that's true. Right. In our careers, I mean, weakness just, is dangerous. Is. Yeah. Whether it's acceptable or, I mean, that may be okay or not okay, but it's, I need to keep my emotions in check. If I don't keep my emotions in check, then I could cause somebody else to lose their emotions. And then the, I, the situation could go sideways mm-hmm. very, very quickly. If someone can see that I am a, a, um, a view of solidarity, they can have confidence in me and my abilities. If I'm over here weeping like a crybaby, they're not going to have that, many, that much confidence that I can do my job. So someone had said, after coming out of the ring with a horse, which was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal, they said, and I was very emotional. I was, I was pissed that I was emotional. I don't, <laughs> that pisses me off because I need to be in my room to be emotional. I need to, I need to control it. Um, someone said, you have to let your armor down. And my immediate response was, it's not safe. It's not safe. It was not safe to be vulnerable at that moment in time because I didn't know my surroundings. Is this friend? Is this foe? Is this, what's my, what are they going to think of me for being vulnerable? Um, Am I a weak cop because I cry? I've cried. I can't tell you how many times I've cried as soon as I get home. Not before I get in the house. Get in the driveway, let those emotions out, and then when I get in the door, it's different. I think it's, we're seeing a big shift, and we're going to have to do something for it, because it's not stopping anytime soon. No. Change is coming, and it needs, we need to do better. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's across the board, and we kind of talked about it the other day. We did one that'll be released here soon, or, well, it'll be released before this one is, but... Um, just the stigma of mental health and how, you know, as a department and job wide as a profession, I shouldn't say department, but as a profession, we're failing because we've had just in this area, what, five suicides or something like that in the past month, two months. And that goes across PD fire. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's something has to be done. Cultures have to shift and change. Or there's going to be nobody left. Well, what what's going to be left is going to be the a people you of, don't want. A group of individuals who can't help themselves. Um, it is truly seen still, whether it physically is or is not. You're a pussy if you can't handle your emotions and your mental health. Like you need to, you need to lock it up. Um, even if we change the culture, the new coming in, if that's the culture they come in on, mm-hmm. you're good. It's changing us old ones as dinosaurs that teach the new ones. Anyway, that teach the new ones. <clears throat> I preach it all the time. Make sure that when you start seeing some of these clues and symptoms that we cue in on for calls for service. If you start seeing that in your own personal life, you need to have a system in place. Who do you contact? Who do, who does your check-ins? Do you check in with your people? I check in with my people all the time. How you doing? Am I ready to handle anything they have when I do those check-ins? Because you can do a check-in, 
but it's am I ready to receive whatever issues they have? Right. It's not the bullshit. Hey, how you doing? Hey, you doing good? Good. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah, I see did you around good the water job. Coast. Yeah. Good job, Dana. You checked in with yeah. people. I need to be ready to handle whatever problem they have. Can I do that on top of my own problems? Mm-hmm. That's a juggle. And then you deal with, okay, is this department related? Is this not department related? How, what line do I have to cross before I really need to start drawing in other people? And I think that's a concern for people. They don't want to get involved. And with you guys right now, it's, it's both, you know, it's, it's, it is and isn't department related. You go in the grocery store, you're almost paranoid. Oh, I don't. Yeah. You know, you go, you don't, you go at work and you're paranoid that a right decision you may make could result in you not at minimum losing a job, if not going to jail, not seeing your kids. It's civilly, civilly law. I mean, civil lawsuits. Mm -hmm. Um, even if I'm adjudicated of all wrongdoing, I'm ruined for life. Ruined for life. Um, I don't think I've ever looked more like a tweaker in my life since last summer. When I am out in public, if I, and I carry all the time now, I didn't used to, certainly never carried when I went to church. I'm carrying when I go to church. I am always looking over my shoulder and I am always distanced because I don't know what's going to end up happening and I can't take the risk of not being prepared. How healthy is that? It depends if you thrive on it, right? Well, so, yeah, how, so, long, <laughs> how long can you thrive on that? Though? That's the question. But that's the thing. You can only operate at, let's say, an 11. You can only operate that for so long before you crash and you're at a zero. Absolutely. So if you're talking years of operating at 11, you now become addicted to operating at an 11. Mm-hmm. And when your life isn't an 11, you start to look for ways of getting it there. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. Yeah. So that, that's, that's a real problem. I, I know we have some good things in the works. I think we learned a lot from last summer. Um, on how we treated our officers. I think we did a horrible job with how we handled things last summer. Um, And hopefully we do better. I hope we never have to do that again. But if we have to, we need to do better. We We just need to stop with the masculinity and just the egos need to be put aside and just handle our business, handle our people and do what's right for them. Mm-hmm. Well, reality needs to set in and you need to think long term and that goes that's nationwide. With Absolutely. as far as police departments, fire services, EMS services. Cuz here's the bottom line, call volumes across all those professions have gone through the roof. Through the and uh, I mean, the numbers are out there to support that with what PD has had to deal with in the past year and you know, having a target on you guys' back and all of that, and then everything. We need to realize that that is going to take a toll, and we have to shift gears. Because, like James said, you know, whenever I said, who's going to be left? And he said, it's the people that you're not going to want running those calls, because that's eventually what's going to happen if we do not retain the good police officers. We don't retain the good you know, firefighters, the good uh, EMS. 
people that we have. If we don't retain those people and then allow them to train up the next generation, then what are you going to be left with? But I think that also goes back to, and we talked about this too, is your recruitment process mm-hmm. and your hiring process. Just because you have a live heart rate and a blood pressure and you can write your name does not mean you're going to be a good cop. You guys had to write your name? Well, with crayons, I heard. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, it was just... Are you talking about us or you guys? You guys. <laughs> I had to write my name. I just showed up and waved. <laughs> Hi. Hi. I run into burning buildings <laughs> for you. And slide down the pole, right? I mean, that was a test. What What about us looks like we're going to slide down the pole? <laughs> I mean, all I hear in the background is... <laughs> I'm debating on which way to take this. I don't, I don't know which out. I've got. I'm at a T I mean, in the road, I, man. It's a big Y right now. I don't. Which way do I? Do I want to take the high road or do I want to take the low road? Good thing there's stairs. Yeah, but you know, I had a I had a PD friend, one of my best friends, neighbor. You know, we were just talking about. It. He's like, yeah, it's great when the easiest bad thing that could happen to you to work is if you just get shot and killed. And he's right. Like. That's the easiest bad thing that could happen to you guys if yeah. you're just dead. And yeah. that's terrible. And I, I don't know how you guys function in a mindset like that every day. So I think, I think you're going to see a, a, a change in, in law enforcement and my perception. Those who are done are done. They're leaving. They're, they're separating as soon as they possibly can from, from their police department. Right? They're done. Then you have those of us who be damned what other people still think. You can hate me. That is physically your right to to have. I am a good person, and I'm here for the right reasons. I still have a passion to help people. I have a passion to connect with people, whether that's my own people that I'm trying to help or it's citizens. I literally love that part of the job. If I can help you get out of your situation or, or give you a resource that you don't currently have, help you through the night, if, if me standing outside your door makes you feel better, I will do that for you. Self-sacrifice or whatever. If that means I don't get to see my kids for a week, that means I don't see my kids for a week. So I think we'll start to see a difference in individuals that make up your law enforcement over time. And hopefully what stays, stays for the right reasons. Hopefully. Well, yeah, I hope so. But I, mean, I, I like our police department. I'll be honest. I, every I mean, interaction, you're, you're all the interactions gonna have, have been great. You're always going to have those asshole cops. Oh, yeah. Well, you got, we're, the, we're no different. It, and, I, and I've been that profession, guy. In every profession, you're going to have a doctor that's great and a doctor that's not great. You just don't hear about the doctors that aren't that great all mm-hmm. the time. Because it doesn't make it doesn't make the news. Yeah, it's not good ratings. Well, you mean professions are made up of individuals? D- differing individuals. <laughs> well, the only thing no. is you could run you could run one call and be the nicest person in the world, whether right. it's PD or fire. And you run another call, well, you're the biggest asshole. Because I've been that guy. You had a bad call and you didn't handle it right, or you you're still angry. You know, right. It's just, I think there's a little bit of a difference in <clears throat> what happens with a 
with a person. I think I don't. I don't know. Yeah. You I, won't hear a person say to a firefighter, "You ruined my family." Not typically. What you will hear is when I have to come in because someone has called and have to take someone out of that that home and put them in jail because that's what the state statute says, domestic Mm -hmm. violence. I've ruined that family. Have I really ruined a family? Mm. Disregard me punching her. I'm mad at you for taking me to jail. (laughs) So I remember... Cause and effect, man. Personal accountability strikes its ugly head again. I mean, I get it. We're an easy target. Yeah, they shift the blame on you. That's fine. Throw the blame on me. Because maybe in the long run, I can encourage you to be a better person and to see that you're way more worth than this piece of shit who just hit you. Yeah. I would love to. I would love to help you move along. Nothing is more fascinating, and I see it all the time. Like coming in from the EMS side, yeah. When they are screaming, the family is screaming at the cop for arresting the person that beat the shit out of them, and I'm just like, yeah. What like, twilight like, really? zone are we in right now? <laughs> so when I that too, when I I grew up in a small town of Iowa. I'm uh, sorry. No, man, do not knock Iowa. Come on, Iowa's beautiful on. state. Yo. Um. <laughs> You respect your parents, you respect your elders, you respect your law enforcement. <laughs> so, first call, I'm, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to save the world. <laughs> I'm going to be this person, and it's going to be so awesome. I get, all, I get paid to do this job. I get to carry a gun. I get to beat people up. Drive like sirens. Yeah. Oh, it's so much fun. 100 miles an hour. So I remember going to one of my first calls, and it was a disturbance. And so I'm walking up, got my blues on, I'm looking sharp, things are going good, life is great. And I see this two-year-old on the, on the front porch, and he goes, the popo. And I'm like, young man, that is not how you speak to law enforcement. That mother you- came up out of that house so fast. She was... And I was like, I don't understand. I do not understand what is going on right now. Like, this isn't how things work. You carry a, not... like a bar of soap in your duty belt just for those kids. <sighs> Eat this I was shit. just like, <laughs> I don't understand what's going on. I was in the wrong. I was in the wrong. Yeah. Welcome to the city. I was like, I don't understand. This does not make any sense. This is not, I had never been in that type of a culture. Um, I, I don't uh, now. I don't know what I'm doing. Shortly after that, she followed a motorcycle back to a motorcycle yeah, club. Well, <laughs> that was a couple of years later. But yeah, that did happen. See what I happened never was. said. I was the brightest bulb <laughs> in the box. Hey, but you turn on. That's all that matters. <laughs> that, I'm not going anywhere near it. <laughs> Look, it's another low and high road. Yeah. Nope. That's a no. Uh uh-uh. uh. Uh-uh. Nope. I'm going to take the off-ramp. Yep. <laughs> Next. And, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, I've worked around enough men long enough. <laughs> uh-uh. So, do want to dive into something else. And okay. trust us. You just got to trust us on this one. Um, <laughs> okay. But what else, <laughs> okay. What else have you done uh, for the I, I police this. department? 
<laughs> Say that again. What else? Um, you you do policy now. What else have you done for the police department? Um, <laughs> so I came in, um, graduated the academy in '98. At the '90s. I was eight. <laughs> does that explain a lot now? It, it does. Okay. <laughs> that that says says a lot. Um, <laughs> your maturity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> worked two years in um, one station. Loved it. Loved it. I learned so much from a lot of people. Um, when I first came on, there were not very many women. Um, it was one in 60. So it was very different. What's the ratio now off the top of your head? Do you know? <laughs> it seems like it's, it's more. It's a lot but, better. Okay. It's a lot, lot better. Um, I wouldn't even know what the ratio is now. Um, and then I transferred. <laughs> I worked one station for two years, and then I found out I was pregnant. <sighs> you don't mess with cops. Just don't. Don't play in your own pool. It's uh, episode three of the podcast, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't play in your own pool. Um no, and it's worked out well. But um, so then I went to a light duty status and worked with the undercovers, which was phenomenal. I was very lucky to to have that opportunity. Um, and then I, when I came back to work, I worked another division, um, downtown division. Was there until sixteen years ago, and then I worked. Um, moved to policies and procedures. I was ready to get out of the field. I was turning into an individual that I did not like. Um, I was becoming very jaded, and it was, it was apparent that I was going to make a life-changing mistake if I d did not get out of patrol. Um, so I have been in policies and procedures for 16 years, and that's a really long time to be in a desk job. Um, but it allowed me an opportunity to be more of a mom first and put in my hours and still work to make things good for officers on the front line by writing policies that, because I, I got wrote up a lot for stupid shit, but um, I mean, I can't imagine how I walked myself into 90% of that stuff, but um, it's my charming personality. Kind of around the world thing yeah, there. <laughs> just kind of happened. Um, so I, that's still my mission for the police department is to take what legal needs to keep us out of court, keep us out of trouble and make it understandable for the officers. But decisions need to be made that are good for them, right? Because the, the higher we go, typically we forget what it's like to be in the patrol car. Um, so we need to kind of, you can't keep dumping everything on them. So three years ago, um, a young female officer came into our unit, Ann Murphy, Dr. Ann Murphy. She is now a doctor, um, who had a nonprofit organization that she had started 11 years ago for at-risk youth, youthrisekc.com. Nice little plug in there. Um, so she had asked, at the time I was working with my daughter on getting her into college and doing the FAFSA. She had asked if I would help 
get the FAFSAs done for these at-risk youth that we work with. Um, so I, I did that, and I, it just opened my, my world of... Um, I always tried to... I mean, I came from a really poor family, and working in the inner city for so many years, I thought I understood Kansas City and hardship. These kids brought a whole nother level to my world. Um, so I've been on the board for Youth Rise for three years, um, working to get these kids, um, at-risk youth, an opportunity that they may never have if we hadn't stepped in to help through soccer and, and scholarships. Um, and then I was um, fortunate to get involved with Veterans for Life USA. And that has just been a whirlwind. Um, my father was a uh, Marine. He did two tours in Vietnam. He has MS now. And we think it's kind of, it's connected to his time in um, July. He was loading Agent Orange onto the plane. Um, so most of my family is military-based. I never went into the military. I think I probably should have. I think if I ever did life over again, I'd go into the military. I think I'd do very well with following orders. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Except mm -hmm. for the whole getting written up written thing. Up you just... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> except, except for the actual following <laughs> of right, your right, right. I mean, lifetime yeah. private. Yeah. yeah. Just constant. Um, How's that view in Leavenworth? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not around the world, I can guarantee that. Um, so being involved with nonprofits, I think, has helped me see different aspects and open up my world of how I can help people even more and the importance of mental health, not just in my own profession, but in um, veterans, getting them assistance and help. Um, and now I'm looking at joining Horses and Heroes very, oh. very soon. So, yeah. Well, I'm sure they would love to have you. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> um, so, yeah, nonprofit work, I think, is a great way to kind of balance the good and the bad of, of everything that yeah. goes on in law enforcement. Do you miss Ooh. it? Do I miss what? Being in a car. When I do, and I do quite often, um, I will work by back um, because I do think it's a skill that needs to be maintained, right? If I'm truly going to write for the officers, I want to make sure that I understand what their viewpoint is because it's, it's ever-changing. I do miss. I do miss it. But let's just put it, I don't need to be chasing people <laughs> over fences <laughs> in a car. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. Yeah. Well, and to kind of go back to the nonprofit work, um, I don't think a lot of people realize, or maybe it's just not common knowledge in the community of how much outreach police departments actually do do. Do do. Do do. Doo -doo. I'm glad you yeah. said it because I was going to. I was like, I don't want to ruin the vibe. But he said doo doo. So, <laughs> but you get, do. you get what I'm getting at. It's not just. Well, even with the addition of your guys' social work program now, too. Right. Which is has been cutting edge. Um, there are 
so many individuals, you're right. Um, we try to capitalize on that a little bit, but it comes off wrong. Right. It's kind of comes off as the look at me thing. And that's See not what really... we're trying to do. We're yeah. doing what you're asking us to do. And here's pictures of officers on duty doing what we should be doing anyways. Yeah. That makes no sense to me. What needs to be highlighted are like Ann Murphy and what she does out in the community. She's bridging the gap between the Burmese community and law enforcement who are typically very afraid of cops. I mean, well, they're immigrants they, yeah. and mm -hmm. they don't, they're afraid of law enforcement. They're going to, because that's all they've been told is that cops are going to take you away and they're going to take you back. You're going to have to go, you know, they're going to deport you. So that kind of work in the community is huge. Getting these kids, we had one kid, um, I won't say his name. He never thought he'd, le he'd live to see the age of 18. Never thought he'd see 18. Not only did he see 18, he graduated high school and he had an opportunity to go to college. He went to college for the first time and first one in his family to go to college. That's amazing. He wanted to be a teacher. Now, it didn't really work out, so we've got a lot of work ahead of us in that once we get these kids off to college, we need a support system for the college system because they don't, they don't know how to study. They don't know how to be on their own. They don't know um, a lot of the ins and outs of, of college life, so that's a little different, you know, right. making sure that they get to class on time. Did he go to a four-year university or, like, uh, community college? He went to a two-year um, local college on a soccer scholarship so not only was he having to make the grades but he had to go to practice so just having that responsibility on mm -hmm. his own was really rough now it's all turned out very well because he's become a coach for a couple of the teams that we have um and he's a phenomenal coach phenomenal coach he could break it down um for the younger kids and he's like you can be as hard as you want to be i've been there so it sounds like he'd be a good teacher too. He's, he would be a fantastic teacher. It's just getting them through those college years. Um, but there are so many people on the department that that go above and beyond. Just not are the, not only are they phenomenal at work, but they're phenomenal outside of work. They're they're involved in their PTAs. They're involved in nonprofits. They're involved in their church. They're involved in you know, their neighborhood association. They're involved in every way that they possibly can to make things better for the community, and it's not seen. And it, it doesn't need to be, I'm not going to wear it like a badge. It's just, that's who I am. But right. it, it's tough. Yeah. Well, like I said, and that's the thing that a lot of people just, either they don't realize or they just want to ignore. So... It's tough. I don't know how you change it, though, without it coming off as a look at me, look at me, because I'm not in it for an attaboy. Yeah. I'm in it because I want to be. Yeah. Because I, I think I can help someone. But right. at the same time, you have to get it out there so people know they can come to you for help. It's like a double-edged sword. Like, I'll look at them showboating, but at the same time, for somebody, they're like, oh, I didn't know they did that. So it's how you market yourself, right? Um, every interaction that you have with someone you typically run into two types of cops. They identify as a cop, and that's all they are. I'm a cop. 
I'm a cop. I'm a cop. I'm a cop. That's what I do. No, that's what I do. That's like my job. That's my job. And yes, that's what I firmly believe in, but that's not the sum of my whole being. So anytime I interact with someone, it's, Hey, um, officer so-and-so I, I heard you were having a hard time with, with your daughter and I get it. I have some daughters. <laughs> Girly wants to. I don't know. I'm like, I don't get it. The crying. Why are you crying? I don't understand. Just stop. Still crying in baseball? I know. It's like, and they don't find it funny until they're older. But um, hey, did you know Horses and Heroes helps officers and their family? Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Well, how do you not know that? I've been talking about it. So until people are in a position to need the information, especially cops, because we get, I mean, there's a thousand and one things. Someone says, oh, hey, do you remember that? <laughs> Firemen do this too. Remember that one time when you were, and eh, this and that happened, and you're like, man, I don't remember that. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never I done do that ever. That. Nope. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I've been drunk since then. So I don't know what to tell you. I don't that. Tell me more. Tell yeah. me what else I did. Yeah. I don't remember that. that kind of sounds like me. 20, I mean, I'm not saying I didn't this, do this it. This picture clearly looks like me, I but mean, I don't remember. That's not me in that picture. I remember that hairstyle for sure. Um, so I think they have to be in a in a um, just like anyone else in a bad relationship, right? You can tell your best friend that's a terrible relationship. They don't treat you right. They don't treat you the way you want to be until they're in a position of ready to hear that information. They're not going to receive it. So it's just beating that information into their brain that it's always there. It's always there, always there, always there, always there for them to get it. So that when they do hit that point of re reception, they're like, hey, Dana was just talking about Horses and Heroes. I'm going to Google that, and I'm going to check into it. Maybe they can help us. I, I don't know. I don't know how to change that part of things. I don't know how to make it more prevalent. Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think it's like you just said. You just got to keep putting it out there. Constant. You know, yeah, constantly, and maybe in different ways or whatever. I, mean, I, I get but, what you're saying with the social media, but... The only way to get it out there is to kind of have that look at me, look at what we're doing, yeah, type thing. And, it, it, and I, I, like I said, I understand what you're saying, but yeah, well, and also we have to realize another thing is that not everybody will perceive it the way that we perceive it, right? So, whereas we might look at it as, oh, look at these jack offs and how cool they're being, somebody else might see that and go, hey, I need that program. Right. Or whatever. Yeah. So I mean, I like seeing what the, the your guys' social media for the department. They do I, I a like, good job. I like reading it, not the pictures. Whoever does the Twitter should get like an Oscar or something. <laughs> I think they did. They got in, there was some trouble with with our Twitter. I love the Twitter. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I, again, that's an a, that's another thing the that tweet -alongs we need to were think fantastic. about. <laughs> I don't know. Did you ever follow the tweet alongs? I don't do Twitter. Oh, it's they're perfect. It's, it's like when somebody says, "These aren't my pants." There's a bag of crack in it. It's like, how did you like you? You're wearing somebody else's pants. 
Like, how did you oh, not know? They look better on me. <laughs> like, you just picked up a pair of pants off the street, and you just they just happened to have I did like a that bag one. of crack in it. I do, I do like You it. haven't done that? <laughs> I only wear my own pants. I mean... You don't like to live dangerously. Apparently not. I, I, I like running that car. Oh, that's, that's not mine. That's, those are my pants. Even because I, I remember we ran you it. Pull a hundred dollar like, bill out of that pocket. What? Those are yeah. your pants. Yeah. They're like, this your phone? Mine. Yeah, that's my phone. The pants but, aren't. The pants aren't. The pants aren't. Pants aren't. What? Yeah. So yeah. we get all the time. Get my like, charger. They're back left pocket. Did you do any drugs today? <laughs> no. <laughs> so I just stopped asking. Now I'm like, when we take your urine, what's going to show up? Uh, maybe well, meth, and, and I'm like, okay, some meth. What else? <laughs> there's, there's a lot coming up too. I mean, with 420 friendly and and some other things, there's a lot coming up, and we've bridged that as law enforcement. If it's okay to smoke weed, do you want your police department to allow that during off duty time? Yeah, we've talked about that with fire departments. <clears throat> we're not going to do it. No, we're not, not going to do it. There's. I mean, I'm not going to do it. It's just not my thing. But I've never done it. I've never smoked weed. I haven't either. Me neither. I know you can call me a loser. That's okay. <laughs> I might, when I retire well, from the department, I'm going to uh, light a huge blunt. <laughs> I'm going to roll it big. I want to go get me some gummies. I want to do like, you know, like, like the flight of beers. I want to try, like, when I retire, like a flight of all the drugs. That we run all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like, like just, a little bit of PCP, a little bit of weed, a little bit. Man. Like, I just want to see. Just a taste. I, I do kind of want to. I want to be like in the padded room and try PCP. No. No. Dude, that's not. Mm-mm. That crap mm-mm. will fry your brain. No, I don't want the one that's going to jack me up where I'm swimming mm-mm. in the street or running around naked. <laughs> I want the zombie one. You know, where they zone and I don't out. understand. What? It used to be um, people on acid. You used to be able to tell the difference between somebody on that was wet and somebody on acid. They were on acid, they were stripped naked, and they were loving life. PCP, it was a fight, guaranteed fight every time. Mm-hmm. But now it's just kind of all crossed it's weird. over. Now, for me, well, it's just the smell. Because they just yeah, mix everything smell. now. Everything's mixed. No, nothing yeah. is straight. It's not just it's the weed melting anymore. Pot. <laughs> Have Kansas. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's not just <laughs> weed anymore. Right. Because they What's lace weed, it yeah. with. Well, fentanyl's a big one. Fentanyl, fentanyl. PCP. <laughs> I mean. If we had like like a city drug, you know, like city bird, city mascot, like city drug. <laughs> <laughs> or our city mascot could be a PCP flavor. dealer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Once you smell it, man, you never forget it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's true. Like. My, yeah. I remember um, six weeks. So for us, you go through the academy for six months. And then you're, um, at the time. You were with the training officer for eight weeks. I had a fireball of a fire uh, field training officer. He, his first three days of my time on, he was on injury days because he'd been in a fight. Um, at, I don't know. Can I say the location? I wouldn't. Okay. Just <laughs> at a very well-known underground bar. Um, anyways. So six weeks in, I was doing, I, I was starting to get my stride. I was really starting to become my own police officer. Guns, dope, drugs, every night. Just pulling cars over. Saw my first um, Mac 10 weapon. I was mm-hmm. like, is that what I think it is? And he's <laughs> like, yeah. You gonna do something about it? I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> can I do it's in the passenger seat he's like ah! I was like oh, no! wait, <laughs> I'm so dumb I was so mesmerized
surprised by the gun. I was like, that doesn't even look real. I've never seen that before in person. Like, what is that? You ever shot one? No. Uh, mm-mm. Really? Mm-mm. They're fun to shoot. I bet they are. Well, <laughs> I learned very quickly. <laughs> Get the gun. Get the gun. Well, yeah, that one. Get the, that <laughs> I'm talking about like that at the range. That was a 25 <laughs> to 30 minute ass chewing. And I don't think I really heard words. It was just the sound of his Did voice. Did you get knife handed? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she got the double knife handed. Back then it was the old uh, flashlights. Oh. You know, the D-cell flashlights. Uh-huh. I've got one upstairs <laughs> in my room. <laughs> the, the one I shot was wow. legal. I'll, I'll, I'll put that out there. It was a legal gun. It wasn't mine. It was buddies, but... Um, those, are, six, those aren't his pants either. Yeah, yeah. probably not. <laughs> six weeks in, um, we had a DV call that we had to take at the hospital, and then um, we had the suspect information at a at a bar in the south area of our division, and so we followed up. Um, we were so with the training officer, you're a one person crew technically, not a two person crew. So there's technicalities on what you can and cannot do as a one-person versus a two-person crew. Mm-hmm. Um, so stopping a car with people in it, you have to have two officers. So as a recruit, you have to have a backup car, not just your training officer, because they're only there for observance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I'm going to put you to work. Okay. Sure that, sure that uh, works. She yeah. doesn't belong. <laughs> um, so we get to this bar, and we see a similar matching vehicle and so we anyways get the people out um and i'm fixated on this one person he had at the time a uh necklace uh that had like a little dagger on it for whatever reason i was just super hyper focused on that necklace i'm like i really need that necklace off of him i gotta have it off of him it could really (laughs) it could hurt me like i think that could have been what hurt her but i'm not really sure Mm -hmm. in the meantime my training officer is getting these other people asking questions like, what's your date of birth? How old are you? Things weren't matching up. Well, next thing I know, he gets this guy out of the car that literally unfolds himself from this little prism. Geoprisms. Remember those? were? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Literally unfolds himself over six foot. And I'm like, okay. Next thing I see is my training officer is trying to put the handcuffs on the guy. And the guy flips around punches my training officer and i'm like oh oh what? i should do something about that no you wait you gotta wait because you can't i got a guy you can't leave people i gotta trust that he can do his job so the guy takes off training officer takes off and i'm like oh i gotta go i gotta go like i'm running too so i get on the radio trying to call out we've got a foot chase <laughs> Women and their voices, when we get excited, it goes high. So I'm like, (laughs) name, location, direction, all that. They're like, 241, are you calling? I'm like, 241 (laughs) has a foot chase. I get it done. I go run after him. Well, so suspect goes in the uh, apartment complex. Training officer goes in the, com- the complex door. I'm like, okay, good. I go in. I open up the door. Training officer has a guy with his hands behind his back. And I'm like, okay, this is not bad. Like, this is not bad. We've got, okay, we just got to get the handcuffs on. 
Like that's it's okay. We can bring it down just a little bit. Next thing I know, my training officer goes spray him, and I'm like, oh, you take it out, you shake it, and you turn the nozzle, and then you spray. Guy that we had goes. <laughs> looks at me and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> no, I spray you, you go down. That's what happens in the academy. I spray you in the eyes and you go down. Turner and Hooch, he starts shaking his head. And I'm like, this is bad. He charges me. I go backwards, fall. He gets on top of me, training officer on the back of him. And I'm like, okay, now I have brothers. You were never on the bottom of the dog pile. Like, it's a bad place to be. Guy's just knocking me just left and right. He's got his hands around my throat, and I'm like, this is bad. Like, this is bad. Like, no one knows where we're at. So I'm thinking I could either take my gun out and shoot him. Now, if my FTO's on the back of him, it could go through the guy and hit my FTO. Okay, that can't happen. So no gun. So I roll on the gun. Guy's got me by the throat. And I'm like, what can I do? There's not a whole lot I can do. I don't know where I'm at. So I look up and I see um, the name of the apartment complex. And it says leasing office. There's this huge light coming down. I'm like, oh, perfect. So I find my radio that had come off. I'm like, okay, there it is. 241, we're in a fight, this is the officer, here's my location. Let go of the mic. Now, at a certain point, things go from tactics to survival, and as a child of brothers, um, you learn to go to one location, and you start fighting dirty. So I start the lawnmower just ripping on this dude, just ripping, no effect. I'm like, I know, I know, like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's not working. He's got his knee on my throat. He's going for my training officer's gun. He's pulling all this stuff out. All of a sudden, uh, we're tussling, probably a good minute. Seven officers from God knows, I mean, I can hear the helicopter coming in. I'm screaming for help. I know they're close. I can hear the sirens. I see seven officers come in. I still don't know who they are to this day. We get this guy off of me and off of my training officer and get him handcuffs and take him to an ambulance. Now, we just sprayed the inside of a corridor with OC. So I'm... So everybody's having a bad day. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, I'm so screwed. I'm fired. I'm done. They're going to fire me. I didn't do... I, I, like, I'm done. That's it. I'm never going to be a cop again. So I'm coming down off the fight, which from an adrenaline dump, you're like, you're just exhausted. And I hear, help me, help me. And you're like, dum, 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 dum. recharge. Some little old 90-year-old woman had heard me screaming for help and had rolled her ass out in her wheelchair and oxygen tank into that corridor that we had just sprayed and got hit with all the OC, and now she can't breathe. Oh. So she's crying out for help. So I grab her, take her out the other side, get the fire department. <laughs> they didn't show up until the very end. 
turn on their big fans. <laughs> Mm -hmm. But that was when the fire department and EMS were totally different. They were two separate agencies. Um, The guy went to jail, got two years city probation (laughs) for assault on an officer. He was high on PCP, six foot five, 260 pounds. I had, (laughs) I got home. I was so worried about getting home because my mom wanted me for church. (laughs) (laughs) I was so worried about it. I'm like, red eyes, I, yeah, it was bruises bad. on your neck. I'm like, Mom, I'm not going to make it for church. She's like, one time go to church. You need to be in church. And I'm like, well, it's been a long night. Sorry, Mom. Show up at Mom's house, and I've got just handprints just all over my throat. And she's like, you can't go to church like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no sympathy. No sympathy. Um, so PCP and how it affects people, it's the drugs are getting more creative. People are getting more Mm -hmm. creative with the way that they use things. I I don't know what's, what's next for us for sure. And and even the impact with with mental health. Right. Like add a paranoid schizophrenic that's off his meds. Oh yeah. And put him on meth. <laughs> or Adderall. I mean, yeah. it's just the overuse of Adderall. Um, and then you start talking about, okay, so what if we have officers that we do treat with um, prescriptions? Can they physically go to work? Well, I, that's a good question. Do you want your officers to get better? If that treatment involves medication, where do, you, where do you draw the line? What medication do you allow? Which medication do you not? I mean. Yeah, and who ultimately makes that decision? Yeah, it's a big HR. gray area. Yeah. HR. So. I don't know. It's a lot of stuff to unpack, for sure. There's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. But hopefully people are doing it. So. I think little by little. I think... The more we talk about it, the more, you know, the work that we're doing with cultural competency and trying to change the culture, letting the younger generation that's coming in know it's okay. It's okay. And how to seek help or do productive activities outside of work to kind of combat some of the mental health issues later on. I can't say that you you don't get rid of it, but maybe set them up for success before it gets to the point to where it's yeah. suicidal thoughts. Yeah. Well, and that's difference. I, that's kind of what I've been saying for a while is we need to set our people up for success, give them the tools to where they don't get to that point. Because as far as the whole, you know, people are going to have issues. That's just part of being human. It's knowing how to handle those issues to where you don't get to that point. So how do you tell someone Don't be angry. Don't be vengeful. When you answer a call for service where someone has shaken the shit out of a baby so they could get with the mom because the baby's crying. Or the mom is passed out drunk and the baby drowned in the bathtub. Right. Those are things that you... What? Yeah. Not something that, and just the the variety of situations is just 
it's endless. And not not saying that, just hear me out, but even now with like body cameras and just cameras all around, the availability to deal with things, maybe the right way off the book is gone. Like everything's... Uh, We're not going to have that conversation. But I mean, like, (laughs) you even have to watch what you say. You do. You can't can't even be upset. You cannot cuss. Yeah. Cannot cuss. Um, you used to be able to get to your car. Your car used to be your safe zone. Let me deescalate in my car. So anything I say and do now is all game. It's all game. I have got to be able to come down from all those calls. If you want me to successfully not lose my shit on the next call, I have to have a deescalation. I just need, I, we can't be running those calls back to back without some kind of safe zone in between yeah like we talked about earlier you can't operate at 11 all the time you can it's just not going to end well at all you're going to run out of people the the amount of um years of service you're going to get out of people is it's you know 30 years doesn't happen anymore no unless you're in a cush job like mine no and you're gonna well a job a cush job either that's not an easy job writing policy Mm. (laughs) <laughs> endless amount of paper clips endless well amount. what what you'll see is you will see a lot of people come in and they will be they'll do it for three years four years five years and then they'll be done yeah and that'll be it short timers yeah and look so how then, many young officers that east department's losing yeah well i mean and but, you can talk about even that with the fire service of look at mm-hmm. how many people we're losing with that's you know, between five and eight years on guys are just saying, you know what? I don't want to do this. So with that, you need to start looking at are, what are they truly leaving for? Because you can say, well, they're leaving because of the political BS that's going on. That may be what the tipping point, it could be all these other factors that, you know, right. like any relationship, you build up a certain amount of fight in you. I can tolerate, I can tolerate, I can tolerate, I can tolerate. And then you get to the tipping point and you're like, I literally can't do it because of all these reasons. So it's mitigating those reasons up to the point. But yeah, you, I don't know what the, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to find people who want to be cops in the future because, um, but looking at it from a different perspective, every generation has had their thing to deal with. Mm-hmm. So this younger generation coming up, they're going to have more avenues of dealing with things. They're going to look at things a little bit differently. So it'll be interesting to see for sure. Well, that's for sure. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I've got six more and I'm out. Yeah. Six more. Well, Dana, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. It. You guys are fun. Yeah. I don't care what they say about the fire department. <laughs> <laughs> we don't either. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoy the donuts. Yeah. I yeah. did. They were delicious. <laughs> Your coworkers are going to be so pissed. Now, do you know where the donut joke comes from? You're, two pieces of history. You're about to I'm open kidding. up a piece of history that I don't know we can talk about on this show. <laughs> not, I think she means donuts with cops, oh. not our donut issue. <laughs> I don't know your donut issue. We'll have to talk we'll after. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the donuts with cops. The only thing open in the middle of the night used to be pastry shops. So cops would, to combat that adrenaline dump in the middle of the night for something to eat, they'd go to the donut shops. 
Yeah, it makes sense. And you know why they're we're called coppers, cops. You know where that comes from, right? That's supposedly from England, right? From the bobbies. You're thinking the bobbies, yeah. but originally law enforcement, um, the badges were made out of copper. Ah. So they'd say, "Here come the coppers." That's what I've read. Yeah. Whether that's true or not. Well, it's got to be true. Good. It sounds. If good. it was on the internet, I mean, yeah. I did stay at a Super Eight last night. <laughs> Simon, expert. <laughs> I see. You, I see what you did there. <laughs> no, I've, right. I've heard the copper thing before. It's old, old West thing too. Yeah. Even before that. All right. So. Well. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks everybody for stopping by. Um, if you're having a problem, talk to somebody. If you know somebody that's having a problem, talk to them. Uh, there's resources out there. Um, so take care of yourself and stay safe.